Morning. Can you hear me? Is that all working? Yep, good. Got a nod from Steve at the back. That's good. Always a good sign. Um, come on then, Joss. Um, so my job this morning is talking about um, Abraham, God's covenant. We're looking at Genesis 17 and 18. Can you get them out? You carry on. You know what you've got to do, don't you? If you know what's coming, you might be getting nervous right now because obviously a part of God's covenant is about circumcision. Don't worry, that's not why he's come up the front with me this morning. Um, (laughs) um, Just a heads up to all the kids. If you hear me talking too much about covenant, just wave a hand. If you hear me saying the word covenant a lot, because I'm going to say it a lot, I can assure you, give me a little wave. And what I'm going to do is the old classic thing that we've always wanted to do, is lob some sweets your way. (laughs) I didn't say it, that's cheating. Uh, <laughs> um, so what, what we've got with, with Abraham is this, this covenant promise from God. And what I want to talk about is that the signs that, that happened there about him. He's been all shy now. He's not doing what I expected. Um, it's some of the signs of, of a, a child belonging to a family and what, what God instigated with those. Just do it. Um, oh, sorry. Long way to the back there. Oi! Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> Joss is my son, and one of the ways that we know this, obviously, we know that he's my son, naturally, but every so often there's certain things that he does and certain things that, that happen in our house that make me think, oh my goodness, he really is my son, <laughs> definitely is my son, there's no question about this, and I'm quite glad that mum's gone upstairs this morning, because otherwise she would, she would hear all this and she would be in absolute agreement. Um, so one of these things is just this, can I just grab a mic, because I'm going to ask Joss some questions. Um, so, Joss, what is your favourite game? Uh, cricket. Say that again. Cricket. Yep. Um, and I love cricket. I watch cricket all the time. I listen to cricket all the time. I play cricket as much as I can. And, and what happens? We have hundreds of these balls kicking around our house all the time. What happens when you see a ball in the house? I throw them. You throw them constantly, all the time. He's got ball in the lounge and he's throwing it around. And what does Daddy, what does Mummy say when, when she sees you? Uh, I don't know. What does she say? Say, oh, that's good. Thanks for throwing those balls around the house. Or Stop throwing the balls. <laughs> exactly that. And, um, and that, unfortunately, is exactly my mother's experience with me because I was exactly the same. I used to bowl the ball from the kitchen all the way down the hall to the front door and bounce it off, constantly bouncing balls. My poor family were driven insane by me constantly bouncing balls in the house. Thank you, darling. Get it down now. Good boy. Um, and for me, that's just one of these outward signs that Joss is most definitely my son um, because he's so much like me. Whenever there's a ball around, whenever we go for a walk, whenever we do anything, he's got to have a ball in his hand or he's got to have a ball around. Um, now, I need to, to apologise a little bit, but not too much because I'm not going to cover every part of Genesis 17 and 18 that we're looking at this morning. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to skip over the passages a little bit. That's only because I haven't got time to cover all the content of these two um, great passages, and uh, Owen talked a bit about covenant last week, so I I can shorten that bit a little bit that way. Um, What I'm going to do is I'm not going to talk at all about... Oh, well done. You're quick at the back there, aren't you? You have some over there as well. Go on then. (laughs) Um, And and Owen's obviously talked about that a little bit already. but I've got to talk a bit more about that. But, so I'm going to shorten that a little bit. What I'm not going to tell you about is, is Sarah's response to God's promises um, because we all know she laughed and there was a bit of a, a funny thing there. And we're not, we're not going to talk about that at all this morning. Um, 
And we're not going to talk about God fulfilling his covenant promises to Abraham. Um, yeah, right. I wasn't, I wasn't talking about them very much. I only mentioned the word. <laughs> um, so <laughs> that was a really bad idea, wasn't it? I should have picked a different one. I'm going to run out of sweets soon. <laughs> oh, and I forgot. Just was meant to give you some, wasn't I? For coming and helping me. <laughs> um, always bribed. Always bribed. And so what, what God's doing here is he's building on his covenant. He's building on his promises um, he introduced them and suggested them in chapter 15 because he said, he said to Abraham, come with me and I will multiply you. Um, but what God didn't do is set any, set any terms, set any negotiations, set anything that Abraham has to do there. All he did was say, I'm going to multiply you. I'm gonna fu- basically, I'm going to fulfill your current name, which means that you're, you're a father, and I'm going to fulfill that and I'm going to make that happen for you. Um, but now God is going to build on this in, in Genesis 17. So we're going to have a look at 17, and we're going to just read verses, 30, verses 1 to 13, which should come up behind me, hopefully. Um, so when Abraham, was 90, sorry, when Abraham was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abraham and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you and may multiply you greatly. Then Abraham fell on his face, and God said to him, Behold, my covenant is with you, and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abraham, Abraham, but your name shall be Abraham, for I have made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant between me and you, and your offspring after you throughout the generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring the land of your sojournings, all the lands of Canaan for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. And God said to Abraham, As for you, you shall keep my covenant, you and your offspring after you throughout their generations. This is my covenant which you shall keep between me and you and your offspring after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. You shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskins, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. He who is eight days old among you shall be circumcised, every male throughout the generations, whether born in your house or bought with your money from any foreigner who is not your offspring. Both he who is born in your house and he who is bought with your money shall be surely be circumcised. So shall my covenant be in your flesh, an everlasting covenant. Uh, interesting because when I was preparing this, I decided that I wasn't going to talk too much about circumcision as an actual thing, um, because what I wanted to talk about was was it as a sign instead of the actual act of circumcision. And as I went on, I realized that this was actually God leading me, because what I'm going to talk about is the fact that the sign is not as important as the thing it's a sign of. Um, and that hopefully is going to come through throughout. Um, so... Again, I mean, that's why I'm not going to go in too much about what circumcision is, what it looks like. I don't want to talk about that, to be honest. It makes me flinch every time I think about it. But, um, <laughs> um, but for, God, for, for God extending this promise, ex- extending all this to address the fullness of what it means for Abraham to be allied to God, it's a life-altering, body-changing, heart-renewing, and legacy-defining exclusive contract between the divine and his chosen people. This is no small thing. This is no small promise from God. He wants to bless, love, and dwell alongside Abraham and his followers forever. So the first thing we have to look at is what's in a name. Obviously, God changes Abraham's name to Abraham. There's some significance in that. There's some importance in that. Abraham 
means exalted father. Abraham means father of a multitude of nations. And when we look at that, I mean, for me, that would just be a mind-blowing change because for Abraham, going around to people and saying, oh, you're Abraham, aren't you? Oh, no, it's Abraham now. And people go, father of a multitude of nations. Where are they? Because Abraham had, at this time, he had one 13-year-old son, um, and that was it. <laughs> and that wasn't the son of the promise, that was another son. <laughs> um, so this would be a very confusing name, but God has given Abraham a brand new identity and a brand new name. And the other important name that we get here is how God introduces himself. I am God Almighty. The most important thing about the covenant between Abraham and Abraham is who the covenant maker is. The covenant maker is God Almighty. He is the most high. He is the creator. He is the restorer of all things. He is the only one who is able to do absolutely anything. He is the only one who is able to turn the cycles of nature on their head. He is the only one who is able to change the whole world to meet his purposes. God is the only one whose promises are always secure because they're locked up in who he is rather than anything else. And who he is is unchanging and is full of power and authority. As I said at the beginning, forgive me, this is a bit of a whistle-stop tour. We're going through about eight or 9,000 years of history, and we're going to go through it really quickly. So <laughs> I'm going to move on really quickly to the conditions of the covenant that God sets with Abraham. The first thing he says is, walk before me and be blameless. This is Abraham's first thing that he has to do, and this is the inward thing that Abraham has to have in place. He has to live differently. He has to be different to how he was before. And then we can look at the promises that God gave to Abraham, and we can I've sort of categorize them like this. The first one are personal promises. He gives him a new name. He says, this is who you will be from now on. This is what you will be known for, and this is what you will be known as. And second of all, he gives him domestic promises. He says, your household will include many nations and kings. Now, I don't know what my future offspring in six or seven generations uh, to come are likely to be, but I don't think I'm going to have whole nations and kings and lords and all the different people that make up a whole nation within that. Maybe, but unlikely. More likely is that I'm going to have people in a similar field to me throughout that historic thing. So what God's promise here, God's domestic promise here is massive for Abraham. Okay, he's just a guy that wanders around visiting different towns and staying for a little while in his tent. And for him to believe that his kids are going to be the, the kings and the lords of all these different nations is an amazing, mind-blowing promise that God's giving to him. They are spiritual promises. Your offspring for all generations will have a sharing in this covenant. This is not simply a fleshly thing. God isn't saying for the next 75 years, for the next three generations, though those things might be ambitious. God is saying for generation, after generation, after generation, after generation, this is an eternal promise, this is an eternal covenant I'm entering into with you. And then God gives him a territorial promise. He says, I have a land which is set aside for you to live in. I have made this for you. You will be in this land, and your children and your offspring after you will live in this land. You will stop wandering around, sleeping in your tent, wherever you can find rest you will have a land to call your own. And then Abraham has this one last thing that he has to do, which is circumcision, the outward sign of the unseen relationship he has with divine God. 
I'm not sure I like the idea of this outward sign. It's a, a funny term because I hope not many people would see it. And, and I certainly don't want to see it if people are going to say this is my outward sign. Um, but that is how it's seen, okay? The difference between Abraham and his people that God has chosen to mark them is in this way. Um, and it's exactly the same for, for Abraham. The, the only example before him is of Noah and the rainbow. Whenever Noah saw the rainbow in the sky, he remembered God's promises for him. Whenever Abraham saw his own body and saw it had, how it had been marked, and whenever he saw his own children's body and his grandchildren's body and, and everyone else's body around him, he remembered God's promises for him in his life. If you want to read more about um, Old Testament theology and things like that through the New Testament lens, I thoroughly recommend you look up Alec Matia because he's a fantastic writer who writes brilliant records on these things. And what he says about this passage is he says, covenant signs declare covenant promises to covenant people. Um, and we're looking at this whole thing. Oh, yeah, wait. It's a long way to throw it back there. They don't fly very well either. Oh. Um, <laughs> and we'll look at that in a second. If we go on to the next one, sorry, I, I changed the PowerPoint after I wrote my notes because when I timed it, it took me 40 minutes, so I had to shorten it. So let me just check where we're going next. Um, Jeremiah 31, 31. Um, this is hundreds of years later, centuries later, prophesying about the future, and he's reflecting on the previous prophecies. Uh, and the previous promises from God. He says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, for this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God, and they shall be my people. No longer shall each one teach his neighbor and teach his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. What Jeremiah is doing is he's looking forward to a time when the old prophecy, which had it, when the old covenant with its failings would, would finish and he would start, God would bring about a new covenant, a new promise built upon that old one. And, uh, and the difference is, is right here, I will write my law on your hearts. Instead of having to go to the temple and find out what the law says about these specific decisions you have to make, you will walk day by day with that decision-making process written inside of you. It will direct your every thought, your every action, your every motive will be directed by it because it will be written in your heart instead of just on the paper. Um, and it also says, no longer will you have to come to find one another to say, know the Lord. So you don't need to listen to me this morning because God can speak to you directly. I hope you do listen to me, because sometimes it's, it's good to have community and, and to share with things, things together. But you don't need me to tell you what God's thinking anymore. It's not for Jeremiah. Jeremiah's doing himself out of a job here. For Abraham, for Jeremiah, for all the generations around that, between them, um, the way God worked was he spoke to one elect person in the community, and they then spoke to God's people what God was saying. And what Jeremiah is saying, this isn't going to happen anymore. It's not going to be about me telling you what God's saying, because God's just going to say it straight to you. He's going to make a path between you and God, a personal way of knowing him. And if we move on, I was going to read a verse around this next one, um, but for the sake of time, I'm not going to. Um, all I want to say is Jesus is the fulfillment of God's half of this covenant. All the prophecies, all the promises before, everything that went before is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. 
And if you want to check on me, there's, there's, a, there's some scriptures there that you can look at. Um, sorry. <laughs> um, <coughs> it's just the wrong topic to pick and say that. <laughs> um, so now what I want to do is I want to bring it right up to date. How does this apply to us? How do we look at the covenant between God and Abraham and apply it to us? As you can see there, God is making the exact same promises to us today that he made to Abraham. He makes personal promises to us. He says that through Jesus Christ, you have a brand new identity. And I'm so glad we had those prophecies earlier. I didn't plan them. You didn't like, talk to people, did you, Owen? Um, <laughs> because when I was preparing this, I felt like God really said to me, there are people here this morning that need to know God is calling you a child of the living God. He has chosen you, he has elected you to be his beloved child. He has adopted you into his family. And that is your identity. And no matter how much you strive, no matter how much you work, you will never get to a better status with God because you're already in the best place you can be. He already looks on you as his beloved child. He already looks on you as precious. He has given you a brand new name and a brand new identity and that's what he sees you as. Um, and he's given us domestic promises too. All have access to God. All can receive from him. All can know him. All can draw close to him. And that includes all of your families. And this was the second thing that I really felt God speaking to me about this week. There are people here whose, whose families are far from God. There are people here whose, whose families are going through trials and struggling. There are people here whose families are finding it difficult and that is having an effect on you. And what God says is lift your families before me because I want to be the God of your household. I want to be the God of your home and the God of your family. And I want many people to be blessed through you and that starts with your family. So whether it's your children, whether it's parents, whether it's grandchildren, whether it's grandparents, whoever it is that God is wanting you to pray for, God is giving you the opportunity to pray for them and he is saying I will hear your prayers and I will hear your prayers and I will meet with, with the people in your families. And there's a spiritual promise too. John 14, verse 16 to 17. Oh, I lost my bookmark. John 14, verse 16 to 17 says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. God gives us his Holy Spirit as a sign, as a seal of his promises. Uh, just like Abraham had a first promise, that he would be a father of nations. He had a second promise, and then the seal of that promise was his son. The seal of that covenant was his child. And just like that, we have a seal of our promise, which is the Holy Spirit, who is a sign of God's promises enduring forever, is a sign of God's promises being close to us, is a sign of God's promises sealing the law in our hearts and guiding us and leading us. There are also territorial promises for us. We have an eternal home secured in heaven, there is a place where we will dwell for all eternity. Hell, um, death has no um, hold over us because we know we have an eternity secured for us in God's kingdom. 
But God has also promised us all the nations of the world. He has promised to his son that his name will be known throughout all the nations of the world. And I'm so glad we prayed for Afghanistan this morning um, because that was really on my heart too because God loves all the nations of the world and he longs for us to hold them in our hearts as well. Um, God has promised that every tribe and every tongue, every person will hear his truth and know his gospel. And that is an amazing promise for us to know that we need to connect with too as a church. And on the other side of that, God has given us as a church three signs, which we often call sacraments. First is baptism, which is an inductional, outward sign of the inward grace we receive from God as we're baptized and come back into to a new life. The, the, the picture is of us dying with Christ and being buried and being raised to life again. And it's an outward physical sign of what God is doing inside of us, giving us a new identity and a new life in him. We also have communion, where we eat bread and wine to remember Jesus' great sacrifice on the cross, whereby he reunited us, took away the curse of sin and death, and gave us a chance to enter in closely to a relationship with the Father, and also united us as a family, one community under one head, who is Christ, um, with one Father. Uh, And he also gives us the Holy Spirit, as I say, the seal that he gives us on our life, Um, Ephesians 1, verse 13 to 14. I should have written this down as well. (laughs) Ephesians 1, 13 to 14. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. As I say, it's the sealing of God's promises for us in our life, and the beginning of the fulfillment of them, the glimpses of our future that we have in him. Now, forgive me, it might feel a bit of a gear change now. We're going to move on to Genesis 18. Um, I will wrap this all up at the end and and let you know how this flows as a a big picture. Um, Genesis 18, and we're going to look at verses 1 to 5 because I need to give you some introduction to what's happening here. And then we're going to skip forward to to verse 16 to 33. And the reason we're going to do this is because the bit in the middle talks about Sarah and about the fulfillment of God's covenant with Abraham. And and that's not what we're looking at this morning, as I said at the beginning. Um, I had to say it again, didn't I? So let's look at Genesis 18, and verses 1 to 5 say, And the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, as he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them, and he bowed down himself to the earth. And he said, O Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant." Let a little water be brought and wash your feet and rest yourselves under the tree while I bring a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that you may pass on since you have come to your servant. Obviously Abraham then does this and they stay a little while and then we skip forward to verse 16. Then the men set out from there and they looked down toward Sodom and Abraham went with them and set them on their way. The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I am about to do? 
saying that Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him, that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice, so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Then the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and their sin is very grave, I will go down to see whether they have done altogether according to the outcry that has come to me. And if not, I will know. So the men turned from there and went towards Sodom, but Abraham still stood before the Lord. Then Abraham drew near and said, Will you indeed sweep away the righteous with the wicked? Suppose there are fifty righteous within the city. Will you then sweep away the place and not spare it for the fifty righteous who are in it? Far be it from you to do such a thing, to put the righteous to death with the wicked, so that the righteous fare as the wicked. Far be that from you. Shall not the judge of all the earth do what is just? Then the Lord said, If I find at Sodom fifty righteous in the city, I will spare the whole place for their sake. Abraham answered and said, Behold, I have undertaken to speak to the Lord. Who am I but dust and ashes? Suppose five of the fifty righteous are lacking. Will you destroy this whole city for lack of five? And he said, I will not destroy it if I find forty-five there. And it goes on and on. And Abraham eventually negotiates God down to, I will let not the Lord be angry, I will speak again just this once. Suppose ten are found there. And he answers, for the sake of ten, I will not destroy it. And the Lord went his way when he had finished speaking to Abraham. And Abraham returned to his place. So what we see here is, is Abraham giving us a great demonstration of intercession before the Lord. If I was to recommend one other person to speak about, or to one other person's writings and work about the Old Testament, it would be Alistair Begg. So during this week, I've been listening to some of his, and he talks about this passage. He talks about five types of prayer. He talks about adoration, confession, petition, intercession, and thanksgiving. And what he says about intercession is that intercession is really at the very heart of prayer. Intercession is the hardest part of prayer. And intercession is where it really counts many times. Alistair Begg builds intercession up as a big thing, but a really difficult thing at the same time. And the reason for this is because of those five types of prayer. Adoration is about us bringing our worship before God. It's about us standing before God and declaring how mighty he is and how great he is and putting him in his rightful place. Whereas confession is about us falling on our knees before God and saying, God, these are the things that I've done wrong. This is where I failed. This is where I've put barriers between myself and you. These are the ways that I haven't followed your word. Please forgive me. Petition is about us coming to God and saying, God, you are the Lord of all things. You bless us all abundantly. Can you meet these needs that I have? They might be financial needs. They might be food needs. They might be emotional needs. They might be spiritual needs. It's about coming before God with our needs and offering them to him and allowing him to meet them. And thanksgiving is what comes almost always inevitably at the end of it where we come before God and we say, thank you, God, for all that you have done for me. Thank you for the amazing blessings you have abundantly poured out on me. Whereas intercession, as Owen did this morning, is about us coming before God and saying, God, this is happening over here. I'm coming to you on their behalf. I'm standing in the gap between them and you. And I'm coming to you on their behalf and asking you to do this for them. 
It's about us bringing a people who we are not in, a people that doesn't include us, and often a situation or a person doesn't affect us, and bringing it before God and asking God to deal with them. When we break this, this passage down of how Abraham approaches God, we see a bit of a roadmap beginning to develop for how we intercede for people. So we're going to go over this really quickly because we are running short of time. Um, first of all, Abraham identified God approaching. So here's Abraham sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, supposed to be resting because it's too hot to work. A 99-year-old man spots three men in the distance, recognises one of them is God, appearing in a human form before him. So he jumps from his tent and he runs to meet him. I don't know how fast a 99-year-old man runs. I've never seen it. Um, but particularly in this society at this time, the idea that your patriarchal leader, as an older man leading the society, would jump up and run is just completely alien. He would run for no man. But for God, he runs. And he bows low and he declares, O oh Lord, using the phrase Adonai, surely that's only God most high that he's approaching. God acknowledges Abraham and then gives him insight into his plan. I love this idea that the, the two other, we later find out are angels, move on. And Abraham stood before God and God's going, should I tell Abraham about all this? Well, he's standing right there listening, so I think you have told him. Um, and what God is here saying is actually, Abraham, as part of your new identity, which is why he labels it, I'm letting you in on my plans. This is what's in my heart. This is what I've seen. This is what I've noticed. And this is what I'm planning to do. I want you to be a part of it. I want you to know it, and I want you to understand it. God is, is reaffirming Abraham's status now. And then Abraham looks on Sodom, um, which is a place where he had vested interests, he had family living there, and his heart is stirred for compassion. He wants to save people. He doesn't want them all to die. He wants to save them. Then Abraham identifies God in his rightful place. God, you are the righteous judge. I'm not questioning your judgment. You know far better than I do. But what about this? God is putting, Abraham is putting God in his rightful place in the first place. And then he's acknowledging his own unworthiness. Me, I'm just dust. I am no more than dust before you, God. But I'm still talking to you and petitioning you for these people. And he pleads with God for Sodom. And God aligns himself because Abraham's heart is aligned with God's heart. God takes his side. God allies with Abraham in this moment. Intercession in our lives is always instigated through God, through his Holy Spirit in us. God instigates intercession for us. It is by the Holy Spirit that we have known and recognized God Almighty. It's only through his revelation in our hearts that we can know God and understand who God is. The Holy Spirit reveals to us, just as God did with Abraham, he reveals to us the heart of God and the plans that he has for our futures. The Holy Spirit stirs compassion in us. God is a compassionate God. He loves compassionate people, and the Holy Spirit stirs that up inside of us. The Spirit of God then stirs us to worship God and to put him into the highest place of honour, to recognise that he is worthy of praise and he is worthy of glory. And then the Holy Spirit reveals our weakness. 
And he doesn't do this to demean us, to put us in our place, to stamp us down. He does this because then we can know God's strength revealed through our weakness. Because in our weakness, God's power is known. And then the Spirit of God stirs, up, stirs us up and empowers us to pray and to intercede for the nations, for individuals, for our families, for those around us. Our duty in all of this is to ensure that we are ready, that we are humble, and that we are open to God's voice. We must cut off the distractions, remove the barriers that stand in our way from us seeking God. We must be ready to jump up and run to meet God. The the New Testament talks about people entertaining angels by mistake, almost certainly based on this passage where Abraham welcomes people in and gives them a meal and finds out it's God and his angels that he's, he's feeding. How is our hospitality in this picture? Abraham bows low before God. But before he intercedes with God, he stays standing before God. He stays in God's presence, waiting to hear God's voice speaking, waiting to hear God's plans. And I promised you I'd show you how I got from God's covenant with Abraham through to intercession and how we approach God with intercession today. So I'm just going to sum up really quickly. Do you want to move on to the next one? With Abraham, we have received divine promises Just like Abraham, we have that set of promises that God has given to us. God Almighty is never unable to fulfill his promises. All of his promises are secured in his identity as God. God's new covenant with us is sealed with his spirit in us. And God's spirit lets us know the mind and the heart of God. God's spirit then leads us to intercede for others as God's abundance is for the nation's of the world, just like in a child's development, they start to focus entirely on themselves, and then they start to understand their parents, and then they start to understand people outside of the inner family circle, and then they can begin to comprehend that there are people all over the world like them. And just like that, God starts us off focused on a one-on-one relationship with him. He grows it up to other people, and then he extends it on further and further. We have this roadmap for intercession. Glorify God, share his heart, and seek mercy and grace for others. God's kingdom is ever advancing as part of the territorial promises he has given. And finally, the promise that God echoed from every generation to every generation for his people, you will be my God, I will be your God, and you will be my people. And that is God's promise for us today as well. Okay, we'll finish up there. Yeah, I can do. Okay. <laughs> yep, no worries. Um, I just want to remind you of the, the prophecies that I brought earlier, the, the things that God spoke to me about. The first one about people who are seeking acceptance, people who are, are not feeling like they understand their identity in Christ and they don't understand that they're under a new name, that they have a new identity in Christ. God gives a promise to you that you can rest in the goodness and the fullness of all that. And because that's been echoed throughout the service, really encourage you, if that's you, please respond. Please ask someone to pray with you. Please ask someone to talk through that with you. Um, Uh, there is a great joy in being able to lift off the burdens of the pressures of trying to perform and trying to achieve when God says you are accepted, you are welcomed, you are adopted. Um, And second of all, for families, please pray for the mercies of God. I'm, I'm hugely privileged that I have generations of Christians behind me and I know at least four generations of people that were praying for me even before I was born. Um, 
great-grandparents that prayed for their great-grandchildren, and, and that was me. And, and I pray for my children, and I'm going to pray for their children, and I hope to pray for their children after that. Please pray for your families, and pray for the, the struggles that they're going through at the moment. Pray if they're in a good time at the moment, that they will know God's voice in those good times as well. Um, and finally, just pray for the signs of God in our life. That sealed Holy Spirit makes a difference in our lives. It changes everything. As I say, it helps us to know the mind of God and know the heart of God, and it helps us to fulfill his purposes, whether that's with miraculous or whether that's just in the physical, whether that's with God intervening as we pray and we seek him, or whether that's just in God working behind the scenes without us knowing anything about it in things that have happened historically or things that will happen in the future. Okay. Okay.